The years following the Japanese annexation of Korea were an uneasy time for any Korean family, not least of which included the Che family, which was now composed of the mother, Che So-young, her two children, Jung-ho and Jung-guk, the, bro- the two brothers' uncle, Che Dae-young, and their grandmother, Sung-won. Left and right restrictions were imposed on Korean society just as soon as ads started to seem that perhaps Korean society could stand on its own on the world stage. The Che family's conditions were worsened by the early death of Che So-young's husband, but, apathetic to the death of a man she had never truly loved, Che So-young was determined to push her family on to success despite her difficulties. Fortunately, the family was still equipped with the land that they looked over as Yangban. After the Japanese arrived in Korea, they gathered the local residents and requested land ownership documents. Dae-yong, in possession of a couple rather old documents that he had found in the family house after his father's death, persuaded the Japanese to pass on much of the land that the Yangban oversaw in the Joseon era as the official property of the Che family. That is not to say that life changed drastically. When matters had been settled with the Japanese, Dae-yong established a tenancy system with the former Songmin, thus continuing the agrarian society that had been there before Japanese rule. Life continued as such for years, with only occasional visits from the Japanese for land measurements, technological improvements, and other minor tasks. Relatively speaking, the Che family was thus able to enjoy relative comfort as second-rate citizens of the Japanese Empire. They always made sure to respect Japanese orders and never overstepped their boundaries, even going so far as to do light study of the Japanese language, even within their home. As the boys grew older, Dae-yong provided support for the boys' schooling. Though the Che's were unaware of such a trend during Jung-ho's education, they eventually learned that other former Yangban were sending their children to Japan. So Se-yung decided to send Jung-guk to high school in Japan. Today we will explore the three paths walked by Se-yung and her two sons, one a factory worker, the other a student in Japan. As we shall see, the events of the colonial era would irreversibly change the fate of the Che family. Che Jung-ho and Che Jung-guk, the inseparable twins of Che Se-yong. Born only three years apart, their bond would lead others to believe they were born conjoined at the hip. Though every relationship between brothers fosters a healthy and thriving rivalry, from the moment they could walk, the Che brothers would come to be beloved by the local community. The average sibling rivalry would lead to resentment and destruction. The Che brothers pushed each other to new levels and continued to raise the bar. Every test question, chore, and feat was a new opportunity to prove themselves. Soon, the residents in their little corner of Kejol found themselves without chores, as it was always one of the Che brothers who would step in. While Jungkook would more often than not come out on top in physical labor, Jung Ho consistently topped the scoreboard in test results. That didn't stop Jungkook from studying as hard as he could. Fueled by a competitive spirit and the desire to be the best, Jungkook's efforts were noticed and even praised when in 1916, Se-yong and dae sat down with Jungkook and offered to allow him to continue his studies abroad in Tokyo. 
The Che family looked forward to this new opportunity. Even Zhang Ho, who would naturally feel a twinge of jealousy, congratulated his brother energetically. Jungkook would set sail only months later, seen off in a tear-filled exchange of hug, kisses, and goodbyes. At just 15 years old, Jungkook was alone in a foreign land. Although the Japanese occupation had equipped him with a basic understanding of the Japanese language, he still struggled to make conversation and had trouble in his classes as a result. During one such class, a girl beside him noticed him frantically looking between the chalkboard and a Korean-Japanese dictionary. Quietly, she shifted her notebook to the edge of her desk, revealing a drawing depicting the word he had been searching for. This sparked a blossoming friendship between Che Jong-guk and Shimabukuro Hanako, Korean and Japanese, water and fire. Hanako knew no Korean at all, being just a country girl from northern Tohoku after all. The remaining two years of Jungkook's high school education, Hanako would help Jungkook's fluency in Japanese improve from an intermediate level to fluent. Many nights in the dorm were spent correcting Jungkook's grammatical errors and playful jabs. The pair seemed to be even more inseparable than the famous Che brothers. But time gave way, and their high school years ended in 1918. Though they promised to stay in touch, Jungkook was still a foreigner and had no permanent address in Japan, making him impossible to find. Jungkook started university the next year, assuming Hanako had returned to her home in Akita Prefecture. Thanks to his fluency in Japanese, from Hanako's tutoring, school abroad was no longer as much of a struggle as before. Before he realized it, Japanese was the only language he communicated in, aside from the frequent letters to and from his brother. By Jungkook's final year of university, he had all but forgotten about Hanako. That was until one day while walking to class, a familiar face caught his attention in passing. Hanako and her father had traveled back to Tokyo for business, and Hanako had stumbled into the person she wanted to see the most. The two wasted no time in catching up, but only days later, on September 1st, 1923, the reunion was cut short when the ground beneath them began to shake violently. Two earthquakes of a staggering high magnitude struck Tokyo. It seemed as if the world was falling to pieces around them. All in all, Tokyo suffered over 140,000 deaths that day. It's often said that tragedy causes mass paranoia, and while Hanako and Jungkook survived the earthquake, they would not be able to survive the aftermath. Rumors spread among a population struck with disaster. The Koreans are looting our shops. They're setting fires all over the city. The Koreans want revenge. Rumors based on no truth whatsoever spread quickly, and people reacted swiftly. Japanese vigilante groups arose, setting checkpoints and brutally beating or even killing people who they deemed to not be fluent in Japanese. One would expect Hanako and her father would have been saved from this violent act of discrimination. However, Hanako's father, having lived his whole life in his community in Akita, spoke a very thick Akita dialect of Japanese. The vigilantes, upon hearing his dialect, deemed him not fluent in the language. Hanako was not with her father when he was beaten to death. When the news of his death reached her ears, she was devastated. But devastation quickly turned to fury. They killed an innocent old man because they thought he was a Korean. But she knew it wasn't the Koreans who were setting the fires, looting and killing, but the Japanese. In the wake of his death, she protected her best friend. With Jungkook's fluency in Japanese and Hanako's protection, Jungkook easily passed as ethnically Japanese. The pair of best friends living low to avoid the chaos soon saw their close friendship blossom into romance. 
Hanuko came to sympathize with the Koreans' fight against oppression, and it wasn't until 1925 when Jungkook could safely return to Korea. With his new partner at his side, anything was possible. Back in Korea, Soyeon, a middle-aged widow after the ultimately death of her husband, found herself navigating the tumultuous political landscape of oppression from Japan in the early 20th century. As the winds of resistance blew through Korea, Soyeon discovered newfound strength within herself to become an activist. Dayeon, her brother, equally passionate about their homeland, was already deeply involved in political activities. Together, feeling the weight of injustice, Soyeon decided to turn her grief into catalyst for change. As whispers of bargaining middle-wife activist movement reached her ear, Soyeon became increasingly drawn to the idea of contributing to the fight against injustice. The civil and criminal cause imposed by the Japanese authority perpetrated discrimination, fueling the flames of resistance within her. Dayan spoke fervently about the need of Koreans to reclaim their land ownership rights and resist the oppressive regime. As moderate and radical forces found common ground in resisting the oppressive rule, Soyeon, despite of her initial hesitation, became increasingly involved. The church, one of the few civic organizations allowed to continue under the colonial rule, became a convert meeting ground of activists. The radical moderate spirits among movement leaders influenced Korean politics, setting the stage for complex struggle against the harsh restrictions imposed by the DGK. Soyeon, even aware of the Ganho group, pondered her role in the resistance. Some of her peers ventured to Manchuria in pursuit of change, leaving her town between the safety of her family and the call of justice. The movement gained momentum, and she finally decided to join the March 1st movement. In January, the Emperor Guamu passed away. With people around the nation gathering at the Seoul in time for Emperor's funeral, the organizers intentionally set March 1st as the day of the large-scale demonstration. Representatives of all fields, including religion, education, and culture, gathered at Tefergan to deliver their written notification of their independence to the Japanese government general. And the people announced the Declaration of Independence. Meanwhile, students and other activists came together at the park and took to the streets shouting, Manse! with dekoki flags in their hands. Number of protesters initially started with 200 people eventually rose to 3,000 citizens. Among this crowd, of course, Soyeon was there. The movement spread throughout the countries and the stake rose higher when nearly 200,000 Koreans were labeled as rebels by the Japanese authorities. As Soyeon delved into the struggles of her people, she found herself entangled with a web of spies and informers. In a twist of fate, Soyeon was subjected as one of nominative rebels. She was eventually caught by the police and subjected to torture. However, she endured the ordeals, her resilience unwavering. Her release, attributed to her son being in Japan, provided a brief respite. However, the motto of the March 1st movement, Manse, echoed in her ears, 
symbolizing the enduring spirit of Korea. The Japanese police's constant surveillance intensified, affecting not only her, but also her family, as they grappled with the repercussions of her involvement in the resistance. Unlike his younger brother, Jung Ho wasn't as ambitious and tended to live life at a steady pace. While his education was secure, he didn't truly take it seriously and experienced life the way it was. He does get into conflict with his brother often as a kid, and still does to this day, but he never was outright hostile towards Jung Guk. Jung Ho takes, takes the time to appreciate his younger brother's tenacity and would even go as far as to support him. When Jung Guk was sent to study abroad in Japan, Jung Ho was happy and excited for him. He even started to learn Japanese in hopes of both getting closer to his brother and being a better student than him. However, at this time, Jung Ho felt he needed to start making something out of his life on his path towards becoming an adult. After discussing this with his uncle, Jung Ho decided to work towards being the head of a manufacturing company to better understand Korea's economics and business. Dae Young hoped that this would be a great opportunity for Jung Ho to be active in politics, but Jung Ho was more worried about finding a place to build his home or for himself. It didn't show much political ambition. To Dae Young's dismay, Jung Ho worked to become the manager of an up-and-coming textile factory instead of working towards bigger industry se sectors. Jung Ho, however, liked the job as it was easy for him, for him to manage the numbers at, at his office and often hang out with his fellow co-workers. With good pay and the factory becoming more efficient under his management, he was looking forward to a promotion within the next year or two. In 1919, when the March 1st movement occurred, Jung Ho had taken control, control over a textile factory in Seoul, and the factory was facing various re repercussions. People were still being investigated and arrested for their participation in the March 1st uh, revolution. In order to avoid scandal and to prove loyalty to the government, the company decided to fire those they suspected participated. This left many wives, mothers, and daughters unemployed, damaging the factory's producti productivity. In order to get back to previous efficiency, the company started a mass hiring campaign in major cities across the country. One of these cities being Busan, where we met our next character, Minji. Minji was raised a Christian for most of her childhood before the Japanese occupation. Both in fear of being discriminated against, she moved further north along with her immediate family, where hopefully being a Christian was less frowned upon. Knowing there was an opening in some of the factories, she decided to work under the same company that Jung Ho was managing. After a couple of months and learning about Minji's secret of being a Christian, Jung Ho became, became more inquisitive and interested in her and started to investigate her beliefs. Over the years, as they grew more comfortable with each other, they began to discuss current political tensions between Koreans and Japanese occupation and how unfair the company they worked for, for could be. Afterwards, the two got married and continued to live together in Seoul. Fast forward to 1923, the pair heard of a secret collection of communists forming. 
Although not an organized group yet, the pair learned that the group was starting to gain more and more recognition lately. Zheng Ho was by then tired of, of the outrageous policies and deadlines the company gave him. After meeting his wife and learning about the poor conditions that other textile factories are going through, he felt even more discontent with the entire textile industry itself. Sharing her husband's displeasure, Minji decided to take a more active role in Korean politics. She and her family moved north in hopes of finding a better life for themselves. And while life has gotten better, the Japanese occupation across the country didn't help. When the Che family received a letter that Jungkook would be returning from Japan, they were ecstatic. However, to their dismay, they soon realized that one of the biggest reasons for his return was how unsafe Japan has become after the great earthquake. They were also informed that his wife would accompany him to Korea. Dae Young disapproved of this immensely, for he couldn't approve of one of his nephews being with a Japanese woman while their country was under the, their occupation. Minji agrees in, in affirmation to Dae Hung's statement. However, Jung Ho defends his brother and sister-in-law, stating that she must not be that bad if Jung Gook wants to be with her. While Minji respects her brother-in-law's decision, Dae Young still holds contempt towards his nephew from that day forward. Even so, the family's complicated dynamics were only to become harder. After some time, there would be a sudden raid on the Jong-ho household. Getting the smaller of warnings on June 7, 1926, Min-ji convinced her husband to flee as Japanese authorities came to arrest them. Min-ji is arrested. However, she refuses to disclose where her husband is. Once in jail, she would be routinely tortured for information on various communists, though she would continue to refuse to give any information on her husband or their allies. Minji would stay in prison for a year and a half. When she came out in 1928, the Che family awaited her. Having watched her grandsons grow, Che Sung-won, fearing for their lives always with the memory of the loss of her oldest son, urges Jung-ho and Minji to quit their fight. To ease the old woman's concerns, the couple promised to stay low. Nevertheless, they could not remain seated. They still met with others who were capable to escape the persecution, staying updated on developments and ready to act if they had to. The rest of the family would try to stay out of trouble, following the laws as best as they could and living as many others of their status did. Of course, the occasional attempt to increase their local power was made through often too little real success. When Sung Won dies in 1930, the family saw itself once again lost. The woman mourned greatly, but chaos was imminent in the Che family. All the remaining members of the Che family had a thirst for change, and there was no longer anyone that could hold them back. Seon debated within herself whether this was good or not. The family incident would seemingly be a foreshadowing of turning events. While reading the newspaper one day, the family came across an article about a Chinese attack on a railway line that occurred on May 31st, 1931. They followed the news closely, hoping they would not be dragged into a war. For months, they checked the news as often as possible, gathering information from as many sources as possible. And finally, on September 20th, the news broke that Manchuria had been occupied the previous day, turning the family's biggest nightmare into reality. 